Welcome to Three Strands Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. If you're just joining us, we're in part three. We've talked about keeping our possessions in perspective. Uh, last week, we covered how to have a healthy ambition when it comes to our finances. And uh, this, this morning, we're going to talk about making the most of what we have. And look what the scriptures have to say about that. And uh, I don't do this a lot, but I'm, I'm going to brag on Dave and Stephanie a little bit uh, this morning. Because for years now, they've uh, set an excellent example of what we're talking about today. This whole idea of making the most of what we have. And uh, I, I called him and got some statistics last week. So, and I asked if I could share this. I wouldn't do that uh, if I hadn't have. But uh, the first seven years of this church, as the pastor of this church, like... He received no salary from us whatsoever, not a penny. And then uh, when he decided to go full-time, we agreed to pay him $30,000 a year. We just kind of looked at the teacher's salary in the schedule. and was like, well, somebody with that education level and that uh, experience, you know, what's like a beginning teacher make? And so that's kind of what we decided to do and start at $30,000 a year. They have no debt other than their house, uh, paid cash for their last vehicle because they worked and saved up for it. I remember when they bought it, taking flack from people like, golly, they must be loaded, not knowing that all the overtime that he'd put in to save up for years for that car. And then uh, this is a good one. They give away 25% of what they make back to God, you know, and I thought that's impressive. Uh, they purchased a house and have money in savings account. They've been an excellent model of money management, a good example for like people like me to look, look to for the past 12 years that, that I know of. But everybody in the room, we could point to a couple who are just the opposite of what I just described, couldn't we? I mean, they make more than $50,000 a year, but they have some serious financial stress in their life. And they think it's because they simply just don't make enough money. They think that if they just made more money, then they would be okay. But the truth is, guys, that financial success has little to do with income, and has almost everything to do with how we manage what we have. As Christians, it's important that we manage our resources as well as every area of our lives according to what God says in the Scriptures, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so the Bible shows us the way to Jesus and to salvation, that's true, but it also lights the way of how we grow in the Christian life. And that's why God addresses such topics like love and marriage and how to raise kids and controlling our temper and all kinds of areas concerning daily Christian living. There is practical advice in the scriptures about each of those areas. And since money is such an important part of our lives, and to be honest, it's the number one competitor for our hearts, God has a lot to say about how we handle it. In fact, God says that we must prove faithful with what has been entrusted to us. And when we do that, that we please him, that we can provide stability for our families, that we can add credibility to our witness and we can bring contentment to our lives. And we all want that. 
And so we're going to look again this morning, as we have in the first two parts of this series, at the book of Proverbs. And I want us to see six lessons this morning that Solomon teaches us about how to manage what we have, a word that the Bible calls stewardship. Okay? And I hope that all of us learn from these very basic but very neglected principles about how we can manage God's money God's way. And I especially hope that you younger people in the crowd will pay attention because if you can save yourself or you can save yourself years of heartache if you will just apply what we're talking about this morning, especially you younger couples. I mean, I look back and I just wish somebody would have taught me some of the things you're going to hear today when I was your age and that I didn't have to learn all of them the hard way. So pay attention here. You'll save yourself years of heartache, okay? Uh, many of you um, haven't had positive role models as parents, or maybe they just didn't teach you God's principles about money, or maybe they did teach you and you just didn't pay attention. And so you go along with what the rest of the world does, and as a result, you're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. And listen, if you don't turn it around soon, you are going to experience financial burden and financial difficulty your entire life. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 16. It says, It's senseless to pay to educate a fool since he has no heart for learning. So this morning, let's have a heart for learning. Let's not be fools. So please seek to learn from what Solomon says this morning. Let's desire, let's chase after wisdom because this guy, he was full of it. All right, the wisest guy to ever live apart from Jesus. And so it will have an immediate impact on your attitude, and it will have a long-term impact on whether you have a lot or a little in life, okay? So let's jump right in, and I want us to learn six basic lessons this morning on stewardship from Solomon about how to make the most of what we have. And the first one is this. The first thing we have to do if we're going to make the most of what we have is to establish a realistic budget, okay? Look at it in Proverbs 27 in verse 23. Solomon says, Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. So Solomon tells us there to know the condition of our flocks and herds. The Living Bible paraphrases that and says, Watch your business interests closely. That means, guys, that we keep pretty detailed records. In other words, we, we know what, we're as, what our assets are. We know what we owe. We calculate our income. And then we write down our needs and wants and develop a plan for what to do with what is left. You know, if, if we just spend the money that's coming in each paycheck without a plan for what we're going to do with what's left, if we just do that, you're always going to wonder where your money went instead of telling it where to go. Okay? So you got to have a plan. Because when bills accumulate that you haven't accounted for, you're going to have very little control of your finances and therefore not make the most of what you have. All right? And the only way we're going to know the state of our flocks, as the Bible says, is to have a realistic budget. It doesn't have to be complicated, but it does have to be practical and it needs to be understandable. So here's what you do. You just make a list of your anticipated income 
and your expected bills so that you can face reality. And what uh, Heather and I do electronically now is what used to be called the envelope method. Because I don't really like to carry cash, uh, so I just try to do everything electronically. But research shows that if you use cash, you will spend less money. Um, But however you decide to do it, when you get paid, you just keep enough in your checking account to pay for, you know, the house, the car, insurance, uh, utility payments, whatever your needs are. And then you take the rest and either put cash in labeled envelopes or what we do is we just transfer a certain amount into our savings account where I've got it broken down into these different categories. And your categories may be like food, gas, uh, entertainment, you know, so on. So if some friends invite you to go out to to eat and go to a movie, uh, all you have to do is look in that envelope to see if you have enough money in there. Or for us, we just look in that category in our savings account and see how much we have in there for entertainment. And if you've only got five bucks, you discipline yourself enough to say, you know what, we can't go tonight. Maybe we'll go next month. A tool that we use that I, I would highly recommend is Dave Ramsey's Every Dollar Budget app. Okay, you should download that today. It keeps up with daily expenses. It's free. Download it today. Begin using it as soon as possible. I'm telling you, it will make a difference. And I'm more than willing to help any of you out that hear this today. Like, man, I want some further instruction on how to, how to use that. But we simply put our anticipated income in there and then our needs for the month. And if there is anything left over, we add a few wants in there as well. But what we're doing is we are telling every penny that we make this month where it's going instead of wondering where it went, as so many people do. Guys, that is being in control of your money rather than it being in control of you. We've got to know the condition of our finances, Solomon says, our flocks and herds. And yeah, the flock may be thin. The herds may be few, but your detail in handling what little you have now will help you in handling more later on. Don't believe me? Look at Luke 16 in verse 10. It says, if you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Now, I talk to some people who object um, to having a budget, and they say things like, well, I I never know how much money I'm going to be making each month, so, you know, having a budget doesn't work for me, so I don't do it. Well, listen, if that's the case for you, just take the minimum that you know you're going to make that month and make a budget for next month. The minimum. I know I'm going to at least make this. And then if you make more, you just simply make adjustments to your budget. I've had Pentecostal friends of mine tell me, you know, having a budget, that just shows a lack of faith in God. You know, if we trust God, we shouldn't be worried about all those details, people have told me. But Jesus said in Luke 14, 28, he said, but don't begin until you do what? Count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Okay, that's what Jesus said. That's not a lack of faith. That's just being practical and it's being biblical. I've heard people say, well, I I have enough money that I don't really need a budget. I'm doing just fine without it. But Solomon said that riches don't last forever. 
I mean, you have no guarantee that you're going to do as well in the future as you're doing right now. And chances are, if you just disciplined yourself with a budget, you would be able to make more use of what's been given to you. You could be more generous. You could be more confident and could provide more security. Solomon was one of the wealthiest people who ever lived, and he knew the condition of his finances. And we should too. Because listen, there are people making a quarter of a million dollars a year who cannot figure out where the money went. And they're living paycheck to paycheck and are barely making it. So Solomon tells us, make sure to know the condition of your finances. The second thing he tells us is this. He says, you got to give to God first. Give to God first. Look at it in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the what? Best part of everything you produce. And if you do that, he says, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. You know, most Christians don't give to God first. Most people who make a budget, what they do is they subtract their bills from their income to determine how much is left over, and then they decide what, if any, that they can give to the Lord's work without going further into debt. Most Christians don't give God the first fruits, the first 10% of what they make. They give Him the leftovers. I read a quote that said, God gives us 10 apples, and he just asked for one in return as an expression of worship. But what we do is we eat his apple and we give him the core. All through the Bible, God's people were instructed to bring the first fruits of the harvest. The first um, fruits of what was taken in battle. And that means that we give to God right off the top in our budget. The first 10%. When we do that, that is acknowledging God's authority over us. It is thanking Him for His goodness, and it's trusting Him to provide the best for us. And guys, it's amazing. And many people in this church can attest to this fact, but God can do more with 90% than you can with 100%. He can. I know it doesn't make sense, but He can. 2 Corinthians 9.6 tells us this. Remember this. A farmer who uh, plants only a few seeds, it says, will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Bill Hobbles wrote that most of us look at giving like paying another bill. But he said, we shouldn't look at it as a bill we owe, but rather a seed that we sow. I read about a young couple who were engaged um, and they've been attending college full time. And they said last year, they said this, they said, we felt led by God to give $2,023 in the year 2023. So they started giving to missionaries and to needy people month by month. And although they had no steady income, they gave. And soon afterwards, they said money started coming in from unexpected sources. The young woman said, you know what? I got a $500 refund on my income taxes. That's never happened before. And the young man had applied for admission to law school. And he got $5,000 in scholarship money that he hadn't even applied for. 
And they said, we just knew that God was taking care of us. And the young woman said, I'm afraid to give God less because I don't want to miss out on the blessings that come with giving. But she said the real blessing was just seeing people who were in need being helped. You remember the woman in the Bible who gave the the two small coins in the temple in Mark chapter 12 and verses 41 through 44? Jesus didn't say to her, you know what? You're giving too much because that's all you had. No, he bragged on her because she gave everything that she had. And so don't don't wait until you can afford to give before you start giving. Listen, you'll never give if you do that. You never will. Just be obedient and just trust God. We just sang about it. Trusting God, right? Trust God to keep his promises. And guys, I can tell you from experience, he will never not keep his promises to you. He always keeps his promises. This is the one area of the Bible where God challenges us to test him. Okay, you don't find that anywhere else, but he says in this area, just test me. Give to God when it's a sacrifice. Honor the Lord with the first fruits, the first 10%, and he promises to bless the rest. I can't overemphasize this next one enough. The third thing is this. You got to live on less than you make. Okay, live on less than you make. Look at it in Proverbs 13 and verse 7. Some who are poor pretend to be rich. Others who are rich pretend to be poor. Do you know the average debt an American owes between mortgages, auto loans, student loans, and credit cards is $103,358, the average? I mean, we are spending more each year than we earn. And one of the main reasons for that is that we want to impress other people, making them think that we're wealthier than we actually are. I I read a quote years ago. It said, people spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't know. And guys, we're pretending, but it's not real. I mean, we're so used to having nice things that we couldn't imagine going without like a television or or streaming services or a cell phone or a computer or a second car. When we can't afford them, we we just go ahead and we buy them anyway on a credit card and just think, well, I'll pay for it later, you know. And as soon as we buy it, we're already on to the next purchase without even thinking about the previous one not even being paid for yet. And then we want to live in a house that's as nice or nicer than the one we grew up in. And so the real estate agent and the loan officer at the bank, they figure out a way to make that happen for us, you know. And if we really sacrifice, then we can purchase that house that's a little more than we thought we could afford. And you know what? We may be house poor, but it's a good investment in the long run, we think. And then we have kids. We love our kids. And we want them, you know, to to have as much as other kids, regardless of the cost. But the only way we can do that is to use a credit card that charges 21% interest. And it's very common for couples to have like three and four credit cards with $3,000 and $4,000 on each one. And they're digging further and further into debt every year. And that same couple will just kind of, you know, they'll just kind of shrug their shoulders in disappointment and they'll say, well, 
we, we really didn't have any other option. You know, that was our only choice. I mean, it was Christmas, and we didn't want our kids to go without. I mean, we were just providing for the needs of our family. I mean, we just don't make enough money. That's the problem. But guys, listen. There is a basic rule that we must buy into. We have to learn to live on less than we make. It's really as simple as that. I mean, our greatest wealth-building tool is our income. Okay, it's not going to be winning the lottery. And if you don't have any income and you feel broke, uh, Dave Ramsey says there's a great place to go when you're broke, to work. Okay? Now listen, in order to live on less than we make, there are three qualities that must be present and distinctive from the rest of the world. Okay, three things that's got to be different from the rest of the world if we're going to live on less than we make. And the first one is this. You've got to be realistic. We've got to be realistic. We have to distinguish between what's a necessity and what's a luxury, between what's a want and what's a need. So, you know, satellite TV and eight streaming services and the newest cell phone every year and, and a second car, most of the time, are not needs. So you got to be realistic. The second thing is you must be disciplined enough to say no to some wants. We've got to discipline ourselves and learn to say no to some things. Proverbs 13, 18. It says, if you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you will be honored. And remember this, that the pain of the payments always exceeds the pleasure of the purchase. The pain of the payments always exceeds the pleasure of the purpose. Some of us have found out the hard way with car payments, right? You get three and four years and then that car doesn't feel the same as when you drove it off the lot. Look at Proverbs 23 and verse 4. It says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In other words, Solomon is saying, be disciplined. Be disciplined. And then the third thing is this, okay? If we're going to live on less than we make, we've got to be realistic. We've got to be disciplined enough to say no. And the third thing is simply humility. You've got to be humble. You, to live on less than we make requires us to swallow our pride and, and to not pretend to be something that we're not. You know, I bragged on Dave earlier. I want to brag on Brad as well. But Brad Green, our youth minister, he really enjoys shopping at like thrift stores, like uh, Teresa's this and that. Every Saturday if I call him, he's at, no, not at Teresa's this and that. Or he's at Goodwill or somewhere like that. You know, many, many people wouldn't even walk into a Goodwill. They're too good for that. You know, I'm too good for donated items, they think, you know. But Brad loves it, you know. Uh, he enjoys finding bargains. Something he can go in and buy for $3 and turn around and sell online for $10, you know. He's the, the master at that. But, you know, I joke around with him, but he's way further along financially than I was at his age. And he is enjoying financial security because of his humility. You know, that's the truth. But, you know, even in Christian circles, we can get involved in this prideful competition and comparison, can't we? I mean, you, you go to like a life group meeting at the home of a couple your age, and they've got this really nice house with this manicured lawn, all the newest gadgets and, and technology, and, and you walk out of there thinking, man, they have so much more than we do. I mean, I'd be embarrassed if they came to our house. I mean, we've got to do better. 
Proverbs 14.30. It says, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. But listen, jealousy, it's like cancer in the bones. Don't be jealous. We must be humble enough to refuse to get caught up in keeping up with the Joneses. To avoid comparing and competing with material possessions. And we've got to remind ourselves that relationships are more important than things. And as we learned last week, that our ambition in life is not to accumulate a bunch of stuff here on earth. And that we really believe that a person's life is not measured by the abundance of things that they possess. I remember back in 2006 and 2007, uh, I had camping chairs in my living room because I had just gone through a nasty divorce and I couldn't afford another couch and chairs at the time that I would not have gone and had to go into debt for. And so, you know, if friends came over to watch a game, we just sat on the outdoor swing that was indoors and we had camping chairs and I had a beanbag in the floor, you know, and you know what? If they didn't like it, they didn't have to come back, you know? And you know what? As an interim pastor at the time, I was much more likely to get a raise that way, okay? So it helped out. But, uh, but, but seriously, spiritual people have a lot more respect for people when they live within their means rather than those who live in extravagance but are deeply in debt. Proverbs 28, 11. It says, rich people may think they're wise, but a poor person with discernment can see right through them. One man pretends to be rich and has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, but is really rich. Now listen, there, there are several ways that we can cut costs to live on less than we make. We, we can live in a house that's less than we can afford. Maybe you have to fix it up and it, it builds equity over time, but there's this satisfaction of accomplishment. Drive the same car for more than five years. You know, a car is usually the most expensive item that you and I own because it depreciates the fastest. Make sure that your car is a tool and it's not like a toy or a status symbol, you know. Eat at home most of the time. I mean, I've heard for years that you can eat out almost as cheap as you can at home, but I've told Heather that's not true. It's just not, okay? That's a joke, by the way. Okay, she's an excellent cook and, eat, and we eat at home, but... Uh, but I have heard that before from, from others. I've seen people be very frugal with their finances. You know, I mentioned Dave and Stephanie, but last year uh, they, they fed 30 college students every Wednesday night. Okay, and that's like drinks, dessert, you know, meal, all that for $150. You ever tried to feed 30 college students? Okay, that's, they can eat. But it can be done. You be creative and, and you enjoy cheap entertainment. Because it costs money to go out to eat into the movies. But it doesn't cost money to, to play Monopoly. Not real money anyway. Use fake money. It doesn't cost nearly as much for a streaming service as it does like Dish Network or DirecTV I learned last month. And we switched. It, it costs a lot to stay at expensive hotels. But it doesn't cost nearly as much to go camping in a tent. And if we discipline ourselves now, someday, listen, we will be able to do those things and enjoy them. Now, some of them, you do them on credit and you can't enjoy it. But someday you'll be able to and enjoy them. Why? Because you can afford them. You'll appreciate it more. 
Dave Ramsey says, live like nobody else so that someday you can live like nobody else. Another person said this, maturity is the ability to postpone pleasure. Immaturity is demanding you have what you want right now, even though you can't afford it. Guys, we as Christians need to learn to be content with what God has given us. Look at it in 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. It says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Fourth lesson Solomon teaches is this. Is this. Get out of debt as, as quickly as possible. Get out of debt as quickly as possible. Look at it in Proverbs 22, verse 7. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Guys, young couples today run so quickly into debt without understanding the negative consequences. And one naive guy was shocked. He was shocked to discover that 90 days is not the same as cash. Okay? He, after 90 days, they still expect cash, he said. You know, 50 years ago, people went into debt reluctantly for like a house. But today, delayed payments are so common that people are buying all kinds of stuff on credit. You know, a typical college freshman can get a credit card with anywhere from $1,000 to like $3,000 spending limit. Research shows that shoppers nearly double the purchase if they use any kind of card other than cash. The total U.S. consumer debt was at $17.1 trillion in 2023 last year. This past Christmas, a little over one-third of Americans went into debt by an average of $1,028. We are so caught up in buying stuff with credit cards. For those people who use credit cards, the average balance is $6,088. Most are paying around 21% interest on that balance. And listen, 43% of Americans who use credit cards only make that minimum payment. So if you've got a $3,000 balance and you only make the minimum payment, it will take you 10 years to pay that off and you will have spent $6,000. And that's why those credit card companies, man, they love you. They love you. Every slave owner loves a compliant slave. And they are just padding their pockets with your money. That's why they mail out over 3 billion credit card solicitations each year. And they call you on the phone when you're at home eating, eating dinner. And they butter you up about how much credit you can have right now. And, and you've been pre-approved. Ever got that one? I mean, I, I want to be pre-approved. I want to be pre-approved my entire life. It makes me feel good if I've been pre-approved, you know? They have these cashback bonus awards that sound wonderful, but nobody's ever gotten rich over, off Discover's cashback bonus, I promise, okay? In fact, the credit card company is just betting, they're gambling, that you won't pay it off on time. You may for a few months, but eventually they're betting they're going to get you. And then that interest will begin to accumulate, and they've got you right where they want you. 
I mean, they've got all kinds of clever gimmicks to suck you in so that they can rule over you. The Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. You ever notice like on that monthly statement, they put the minimum payment in bold where it's easy to see, but you kind of got to search a little bit to find the total amount that's due. They don't want you to see that. They want you to keep just paying that minimum so they can make huge profits off of you in the long run and keep you as their slave. I mean, that's free money. That's easy money for them. Now, listen, I'm not trying to bash you, okay? It's not a sin to have a credit card. It's not a sin to be in debt. I realize that credit cards can be an advantage if you pay it off at the end of each month that they can help to establish credit. I get that. But listen, our credit score is really our debt score. It's how much debt we can accumulate. And that's dangerous. And I know there are times when you're investing in like a house or maybe a business or a necessity that debt is essential. I get that. And Proverbs 28, verse 8, it warns against charging an exceedingly high interest rate. But the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to, you know, to loan or that it's wrong to borrow. If it weren't for loans, uh, many of us wouldn't be living in the house that, that we're living in. But however, credit card debt at 18 to 21% interest, I got one in the mail the other day, I think it was for Maddox, it was 17 to 27% interest. That is enslaving people. And, and you know, you feel guilty when, when you buy anything that you're so far in debt. And, and you feel hypocritical because you're not really living in reality. You're under this constant stress of avoiding creditors, not answering your phone, or not responding to emails. And you argue with your family all the time about being irresponsible. You resent other people who have more than you do. And you feel hopeless because you see no end in sight. There's just no sense of relief and you have low self-esteem and you hate it when the preacher talks about money or the church does a series called Smart Money. You can't stand it. And what's worse is that many people today feel no sense of shame. It doesn't bother them. And as long as they still have the capacity to borrow more, they don't see a problem. You know, one Kentucky bank reviewed 125 home loan applications, which revealed that 90% of all the applicants had a minimum of four credit cards in which three of the four were maxed out. 82% of them had two car payments, and the average car payment was $522. 70% of all those applicants showed some late payments on their credit report, and 32% of the younger adults who were applying for a home loan had overdrawn their checking account 90 days before the appointment. And those were the people wanting to buy a house. Guys, if we're so deep in debt, if we're just paying on the interest, then we are not being a wise manager of the resources that God has given us. We're just not. One Christian financial counselor stated this. He said the average Christian gave 2.5% to the church last year, but at the same time paid 9.8% in interest, almost 10%. And so we're tithing to the credit card companies and we're giving God the leftovers. The current rate of giving in churches is 2.5%, which is less than the percentage that was given, listen, during the Great Depression. 
Guys, that is a sin. Okay, let's just call it what it is. We need to look in the mirror and we need to ask ourselves a tough question. Not not just how did I get here, but why? Why did I get here? And at the heart of the matter, we have got to admit that there's more there than meets the eye. That it, it really is a character problem. That we don't want to admit it, but there's a character flaw. I mean, it's either greed, envy, impatience, or just simply failing to trust God. And we need to repent of that. And I'm not blasting you. I've been there. Okay, I've been there. Um, We need to ask forgiveness. And we need to ask for the strength to change. Look at it in Romans 13, 8, where it says, Paul says, Owe nothing to anyone. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. And Charles Swindoll says the Greek verb here is in the present tense, and it literally means don't keep on owing anybody anything. (laughs) Don't keep on owing anybody anything. Okay? So listen, make it a priority to get out of debt. If credit cards are a problem for you, then take out the scissors and cut them up. We've had to do that before. Don't make another purchase on it. And then listen, make paying it off your biggest challenge. You know, Heather and I have used what's called the Debt Snowball app to help us with this. And what you do with that is you just begin with the smallest debt and you pay on it as much as you can. Put as much money as you can on that smallest debt so you can see some progress. And then what you do is just pay the minimum on all of the others. And some people object and they'll say, that's stupid. You, you should pay the highest on the uh, highest interest. That's the one you should pay the most on, the highest interest. Um, pay that first. But listen, you need to remember, it's not a math problem. It's a behavior problem. I mean, if it was simply knowing math, if that was the answer, we would never be in debt in the first place, would we? It's not a math problem. It's a behavior problem. We've got to change our behavior. Get excited about seeing that amount come down every month. Make a long-term commitment. Do without to make it happen. And guys, you will find that God will bless you. And you will discover that you're much happier doing without and going in the right direction rather than being surrounded by a bunch of things that you don't even own. The credit card companies own them and your mortgage company owns it. And you don't have to feel guilty about it. Listen, I'm just trying to be transparent. It's taken Heather and I a decade. It's taken us a decade because we had so much debt when we got married. But finally, we're out of it except for our house. That's it. And we're thankful to God for that. It feels so freeing not being a slave to Discover Card and Bank of America and Great Lakes Student Loans and Chevrolet or Toyota. It feels free to not be their slave anymore. The fifth thing is this. Save some regularly, okay? You got to save. Someone once said, the problem when it comes to saving is that most people will stop at nothing. That's the truth. Proverbs 21.20 says this, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools, what do they do? They spend whatever they get. They don't save, in other words, okay? We often teach, uh, you know, when we do this series every year, we often teach what's called the 10-10-80 plan around here. It's what I've used for over 20 years now. And what you do, is, it's where you just give the first tenth back to God, okay? That's what's called our tithe, which literally that word means tenth. 
And then next, we save 10% for a rainy day because it's going to rain eventually. And then we live off of 80% of our income. And if we ever get to the point where we can't live off 80%, then we have to make some lifestyle changes. we got to adjust some things. But even if you can't quite save 10% yet, still save a little bit on the side. And trust me, you'll be glad you did when an emergency comes. Because if you will get into the habit of saving, then when emergencies come in your life, they will just be inconveniences rather than true emergencies. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 11.2, he said, But divide your investments among many places, for you don't know what risks might lie ahead. And guys, I know it's difficult to plan for doctor bills and car accidents and, you know, kids' braces or an unplanned pregnancy. Then, then there's that annual emergency every year on April 15th called taxes. And if you don't plan ahead for that, some of you know, right, it can feel like a sucker punch right in the gut. I heard about one lady who emailed the IRS asking them if they would take her off of their mailing list. You know, that's what she asked them to do. So, And, you know, I've mentioned his name already, but Dave Ramsey, the Christian financial guru, counselor, he suggests the first step that you and I take is to save at least $1,000 in an emergency fund. First thing before you do anything is do whatever you can to save $1,000 in an emergency fund. And then after that, our goal should be that we give the first 10% away that we save 10%, and then we live off of the other 80%. Guys, that's an achievable goal. And the sooner you start implementing it, the easier, easier it's going to be, okay? All right, last one's this. Invest wisely in the long term, okay? Last bit of wisdom Solomon gives us is to invest wisely in the long term. Look at it in Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes it quickly disappears. But wealth from hard work grows over time, he says. So Solomon, all through the book of Proverbs, warns us about get-rich-quick schemes. Proverbs 28.20, it says, The trustworthy person will get a rich reward. But a person who wants to get uh, quick riches, well, they're going to get into trouble. You ever been like at the gas station checkout line behind some guy and he gets like a Coke and a pack of cigarettes and, and then he buys like $5 scratch off lottery tickets and then he stands there and you've got to wait as he scratches every one of them, them off, you know? And, and what does he do if he wins? He uses that money to buy more lottery tickets because he wants to hit it big. He wants to get rich quick. But guys, any attempt to get rich quick, whether it's at a casino, the racetrack, sports betting, the lottery, even the stock market, that is evidence of greed rather than depending on God. But there are legitimate ways to invest money. Proverbs 21.5, it says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts, that's going to lead to poverty. Guys, it's not God's will for us to be in poverty and deeply in debt all of our lives. But to invest money wisely and accrue money over a period of time, that is a legitimate, God-honoring way to increase our resources. Proverbs 31 speaks of the virtuous woman as an investor. It says, she considers a field and she buys it. And out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She's turning it over, making a profit. 
If you remember Jesus, he chastised the one talent man, criticized him for doing what? Burying his talent in the ground. Remember that? He says, at least you could have put it in the bank where it would have earned interest. And then he commended, bragged on the five talent and the two talent man for investing their money in a way that it doubled. And so an honest investment that increases money is a way of making the most of what God has entrusted to us. Okay, and again, Dave Ramsey, I follow him. He's like the number one guy on this stuff as far as Christian finances. But he put out on his social media this, this last week the five uh, top careers of millionaires. Okay, people who are millionaires, the five top careers. You know what they were? Number one was engineer. Number two was accountant. Number three, teacher. Number four, management. And number five, attorney. And I read that and I was like, teacher at number three, really? No way. But the reason is while most teachers don't make a ton of money, many are wise in investing a little of what they do make. L listen to this. And I've tried to challenge uh, our kids that when you get your first job, do this, okay? $100 a month invested from age 25 to age 65 is, listen, $1,176,000. If you got your first job and you start investing $100 a month from age 25 to 65, you're looking at somewhere around that number. But you can't jump off the roller coaster. You can't use that money when times get hard. Because compound interest, which is interest on top of interest, is wonderful when it's working for you. It's not so wonderful if it's working against you. So listen, in order to do some of these things that we've talked about this morning, we may have to eat in instead of out all the time. We may have to take vacations at Rock Creek instead of the beach every year. We may have to drive a car that we can afford rather than having a payment. Live like no one else now so that someday you can live like no one else is living. And it's going to require discipline. And it's going to require patience. But guys, you can do it. You can ask people in this room who've been there, done that. They've dug out of debt and they're, debt and they're living freely now God's way. Okay? You can do it. And listen, let me just say this. The answer's not always more money. You know? Just because a job pays more, doesn't mean you should always take it, especially if it's going to create more stress and it's going to keep you from your family, from your church, from life group, all that. Hebrews 13, 5 says, says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I'm not going to abandon you. And so guys, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with what we make. It has everything to do with how we manage it. You know, we're more likely to be content with what we have if we would just manage it well because we're confident that God is taking care of us. And let me just close by saying this. It is a sacrifice. I'm not going to lie to you. It is a sacrifice. But listen, the greatest sacrifice ever made was what Jesus did for us on the cross. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Guys, he made that sacrifice 
because we mattered more to him than all the riches of eternity. That's how much you mean to him. So he went to a cross and he died to save us from our sins. And I just want to challenge you this morning. If you have not accepted him as your savior, if you are not aware of the eternal riches that only he can provide, if you've not surrendered to him as the boss, as the Lord of your life, as the manager of your life, we want to invite you to do that today as we stand and sing this last song together. Let's stand. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.